Welcome to the True Masculine Project. My name is Eric. I'm your host and fellow student on the path of masculinity. On this show, we will discuss personal development and masculine principles so we can be the best men that we can be. If you are new to the show, welcome, and you may want to head on over to the intro episode. Uh, describes the format and a little bit more about what we want to cover here. And for the rest of us, on to the show. Yo, and welcome back to the show. Had a little vacation last week. Good to go see some fam, which is always good. But we are back with part two of the like switch where a former FBI spy catcher talks about the social dynamics that allowed them to approach and turn spies or to get people to spy or flip and work for the United States government instead of their own countries and the step-by-step methods that they discovered and employed and how we could employ some of these same tools in our own lives to help tip the scales in our interactions with new people or if you don't like someone you want to let it be known without having to verbally say it how you can give off those things too so with that let's get started all right so we left off with faux signals last week and just as a reminder everybody has a territory scan uh the length of that territory is sort of going to depend on a little bit of the person's background, their culture, what they're used to as far as personal space. But when you become a blip on someone's radar, AKA if you're in the same remote area with them, assume that they have at least noticed you subconsciously anyway, and have started to classify you as friend, neutral, foe, interest, not interest based on, you know, variety of factors, what's going on in their lives. What do you look like? What are you acting like? And some of their pre-existing beliefs about people who look like you, there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, so there's no point in thinking about that. What you can control is not giving off foe signals and giving out friend signals, which we finished up with last week. So let's get into the foe signals. So the first one is prolonged eye gazing. This seems obvious. Don't stare at people. And I know everyone's like, oh, you need to look people in the eyes when you talk to them. And you should make some eye contact. You should be able to tell someone what the color of their eyes are. If they ask, if you do not know, you have not looked long enough. But especially if you're from down the room and you're looking at a woman, you can't stare her down like a lion stalking a gazelle. And and yes, I know that do lions don't hunt. That's not the point. You cannot just be eye-fucking somebody that you just saw. It's creepy and invasive. And if you stare a dude down like that, uh, even if it's like some speaker at an event that you want to go talk to, he's probably going to want to fight you uh, because you can't stare at people like that that you don't know. It is a heavy foe trigger, and you think you wouldn't have to tell people this, but there are some people who are just either A, maybe somewhere on the spectrum and never really learned any of this bilingual stuff, didn't have a lot of friends, so it's something you have to adapt to when you're older. And unfortunately, people have less time to give, they're less forgiving as an older person. Or B, they have heard the make strong eye contact advice before, and now they're on the way other side of the spectrum where instead of walking, staring at the ground the entire time, now they look at everybody like Jeffrey Dahmer. Just a slight amount of eye contact is good. Anything other than that with someone you do not know is going to come across as creepy or too intense 
Remember, people are going to associate whatever feelings that they feel around you with you, uh, whether good or bad, which we'll get to later. So you don't want to make people feel uncomfortable uh, or have people in an uncomfortable setting because they're going to attribute those feelings to you. Because after all, they didn't feel that way before you walked up to talk to them. There is a place for tension and increased eye contact and romantic or deeper conversations is not at the start of a relationship and it's definitely not when you first meet someone. Another large faux signals, elevator eyes, aka sweeping a person from head to toe, uh, literally sizing people up. I don't know if women do this to each other. You see men do it, especially in movies. Sometimes fighters in face-offs will do this thing where you look each other up and down. That is a faux signal. Just don't do it. The only reason you would need to size someone up is if you were trying to compare their capability of force to yours. It doesn't have a place in a social setting. Um, now, obviously, if you're trying to send faux signals, this is a perfect way to do it. Just don't be surprised if someone hits you after it. After all, you get what you ask for. Now, there are many others, and we're going to group these last ones of the big things that send faux signals as facial tension. So furred eyebrows, squinting, scrunched noses, anything that does not look relaxed. And this is even if you're not doing it in response to someone else because they're going to read your body language and interpret this as negative towards them. So if you're outside or you're wearing some clothes that are uncomfortable or something happened and it's a thought that's not related to the person, you need to call this action out. If you're sitting outside at a table and the sun is forcing you to squint occasionally, just go ahead and verbally say it. Man, the sun is in my eyes, it's making me squint. You don't have to say it as verbatim as that, but you need to call out the fact that the negative body language that they are seeing you display is not because you are displeased with something that they said or something that they are doing or you're not paying attention. It's because literally the sun is in my eyes. But Eric, shouldn't people know that without me telling them? No, of course they don't, because the most important person to everyone is themselves. And they're too busy thinking about, was it something that I said that made them look that way to go to the easier, more likely scenario, which is, no, they are paying attention. The sun is in their eyes, and that's why they look that way. Just, you should assume the motherfuckers are not thinking that, oh, this is their problem, and that's why I look that way. They are always filtering whatever is going on to them because we are our own most interesting person, which is why making people feel good about themselves is the number one rule to getting people to like you. It's not about you being interesting or you having to make people like you. You just need to make them feel good about themselves when they are around you in ways that don't come across as low social status or obviously manipulative. You can overdo some of these things, like compliments, for instance. And voila, friendship. Now, no one is perfect and people are willing to be forgiving. One, assuming you didn't give off a ton of faux signals at the start or a ton of low status body signals when people first saw you. It's really hard to pull yourself up out of that hole, especially if this is someone that you were trying to meet on, let's say, at a bar. And unless you get a number, 
you're most likely never going to see this person again. If it's someone you run into often, then you have a little bit longer to show this person that maybe their first impression of you is wrong, assuming they give you that option. But you need to be able to calibrate is how they sort of talk about it in the community, quote unquote, but just the ability to make an adjustment to acknowledge the fact that something that you did or said may have made someone feel uncomfortable and that you are socially aware enough to acknowledge that feeling. So let's say as the masculine, as a man, you are approaching a woman who at least seems semi-receptive or that was doing that thing that women do if you're not running laps in the club. Like if you stay in one location, they will sort of make themselves available to be spoken to. They'll move closer and sort of hover in these general areas to give you a chance to talk to them. But let's say you close the space, the gap, the territory that people register others in a little faster than what she's comfortable with, but she doesn't go running off screaming, right? If you take a step back, maybe put your hands up, right? Like you give some sort of, hey, my bad type gesture that tends to be accepted like, oh, okay, he realized I was uncomfortable and he's waiting for me to become more comfortable. You'll get away with those all day. This is also why either grabbing this book or Vanessa Van Edwards Captivate, if you can't read social expressions, facial expressions, general body language, due to either some level of spectrumness or you just don't have that much experience with it. You can't understand why things are going wrong for you. You need to know what these look like. Practice giving off positive body language in the mirror or with a partner so that when you're out in public and there's all this stress on top of you because you feel like it's game time and you can't make a mistake, that these things become second nature and you don't have to think about Oh, she's a little uncomfortable. Um, as long as you take a step back, if she continues to talk to you, then fine. I would just keep moving on like it never happened. And then eventually you can try again. And that escalation into the personal space will probably be accepted at that time, assuming she is okay with it. And, you know, just so this is not just a dating thing. If you were trying to make friends with someone, all of this same territory spacing conversation typics type things still apply don't go super deep too soon but if you expose a little bit too much too early just back it back off talk about something light and then you can revisit that at a later time now if someone is not receptive multiple times then they're probably just not receptive and they could just be being nice in which case it is time to move on but if you can't read it you don't know what it looks like you're going to have a hard time, bro, if y'all hear pizza when you should have french fried. And I'm an old man, so I can't believe I've explained this, but that's a South Park reference. South Park reference. And now a brief word from one of our sponsors, Audible. Hey, so we have all heard that knowledge is power. So if knowledge is power, access and the ability to digest that knowledge is a superpower. Uh, however, not all of us have time to sit and read at the end of the day in our busy lives full of hustle and bustle. We are always on the move and in the middle of working long hours, trying to get things done, working on side projects, or frankly, just taking care of yourself and your family. You may not have time to sit down and read. And that's why I love Audible. 
Audible allows you to take advantage of those transition moments like the gym, like your drive to work, like cooking to install new knowledge that you did not have before to help take you from where you are now to where you want to be. There are thousands of titles available on Audible, including bestsellers like Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is Away, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, and others. Start your 30-day trial today and your first book is free. Go to audibletrial.com slash truempodcast to get started. That's Audible Trial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-L dot com slash true, T-R-U-E-M-P podcast. And now, back to the show. Uh, one last thing before we wrap that up is clothing and accessories. So you can wear whatever you want, tat yourself up however you want. But because of some of the social stigmas that may go along with how you have chosen to portray yourself, you may have harder times in certain areas than others, and that's something you're just going to have to accept as long as humans are tribal animals. If you're walking around with face and neck tattoos, you have to assume that people are going to associate you with some sort of quote-unquote criminal element. Whether that is stupid or not is irrelevant, especially the older generation that is doing most of the hiring. Now, if you work on your own or you do your own thing, that's fine. I expect my tattoo artist to be tatted up, for instance. But if you're going into a corporate America job, and this is even with someone your own age hiring, they're not expecting, although might be more lenient, there's still going to be a bias because of who you're going to be interacting with, what people want you to look like. So just dress the part if it's really important and be prepared for some backlash. If you've made decisions in the past that you're now trying to cover up from, for example, if you're a white guy with lightning bolts and SS's and swastikas, you have to assume that people are going to believe you to be a white supremacist. It just goes with the uniform you have chosen to adorn yourself in. If you have recovered from the ridiculousness and understand that we are all one giant human family, and you've got stuff like that, you may just want to get them removed, is all I'm saying. How one chooses to present themselves, whether rightly or wrongly, is irrelevant, is going to have some influencing factor when dealing with other people. That's why in every single doctor's commercial or medicine, there's always a dude wearing a lab coat, even though he is not a real doctor. And it's always in the bottom left-hand corner, the tiny print actor portraying a doctor. But they put them in the lab coat because the lab coat gives a sense of authority to the majority of people on the planet. Because that's just what you're used to, listening to people who look like that. Uh, it's the same thing. They've done experiments with people wearing suits and how they get treated better, even if it's the exact same person who was wearing bummy clothes a minute before. Now remember, the golden rule a friendship make people feel good about themselves and they will like you going to harp on that a lot in this because it can never be said enough now approaching groups two people are infinitely harder to approach than a group of six or seven when there are two people talking you can't ignore one of these people you see someone make a mistake like this all the time you walk up you want to introduce yourself but you are more interested in someone whether it's that you want to get to know them, you want to ask them questions, they have higher social status, and you ignore the friend. 
whether man or woman is irrelevant. You can't ignore the friend. You have to befriend the friends. Now, when there's a large group of people, this is actually easier to do because the other people can just go off and talk to each other and you can slowly have a more one-on-one -on -one conversation with whoever you want to talk to. Now, you can't make the mistake of not acknowledging the friends at all, but this is less effort than having to entertain two people at one time. If there are two people there, it's hard, not impossible, but you have to be able to entertain both of these people. Now, they talk about foot positioning in the book, and basically, if you check someone's feet, if they're having a really in-depth conversation, there won't be any room for you to literally insert yourself into the conversation. If people are open to others joining, they usually make it easier for those people to physically fit into the group, right? If there's no emotional space for another person, there tends to be less physical space for another person. And talking to one person in a group of five is much easier. We still have to introduce yourself to everyone. And then after that, you can sort of talk to whoever while coming back to the major group. But if it's two people, be prepared to entertain both of them while giving more physical body signals, especially if it's two women, um, body language signals that I'm interested in her, but I'm obviously talking to both of you because you are together. Have to befriend the friends, can't skip it. Now, the next section of the book goes into a bunch of different conversational techniques. They talk about emotional bids, slowly opening yourself up, etc. I have a whole entire episode about this. I believe it is 39. Uh, the tactics and mindsets about how to talk forever. We cover a lot of this, so I'm going to speed run it. But you can't question train people. You have to throw some statements in there, some empathic statements, like I'm going to share something about myself at a light disclosure level, which is going to encourage someone else to share something about themselves at a light disclosure level. Do not go too deep too fast because that encourages people to place up their defenses. After all, that's not something that someone who has high levels of self-esteem and is confident in themselves normally does. You don't just emotionally vomit over somebody that you just met. And acknowledging emotional bids. If someone shares something that is deeper than just the standard how's the weather, whatever response. They gave you something personal about them. Even if it's a light anecdote, you need to say something about it. Acknowledge that you heard it. Just acknowledge that you heard it. Shit goes miles. People just want to be heard. People go their whole motherfucking day without anybody really paying attention or really seeing them. Just repeat some of what they said in your statement using their words or you can start the sentence off with, it sounds like, it seems like, it looks like, and then just say what they said so they understand that you heard what they said. Game changer. And in case you think people are going to realize that you are using a technique, this is from the book. Remember, everyone believes they should be the focus of intention. And also, as long as you don't sound like a robot, I inserted that. The person you are talking to won't realize you were using a, a technique in quotation marks because it falls within the usual bounds of behavior. Once you learn that people work like this in social settings, you start to put the spotlight on yourself when you're doing something, which is going to make you feel nervous about quote unquote doing a technique. All you are doing is being consciously aware of things that you may or may not have been doing correctly subconsciously your entire life. 
people who aren't aware of these things or even people who are, it still works on because it's the fundamental root code, basically, uh, source code of how humans operate in social settings. It then moves on to talk about the primacy effect and is that people are more likely to view you in the light a friend or someone that they know describes you as even if that is not accurate towards you. So if they are friends with Becky and you and Becky don't get along and Becky goes and bad talks you to whoever you're going to talk to, unless it's someone that, you go, that you're going to see a lot, you can forget about it. It is really hard to overcome a bad frame that someone is going to view all of your actions from because someone that they trust or at least know said some things about you. This is why you have to keep your reputation as spotless as humanly possible, right? We all make mistakes and do things because luckily it also works in the opposite direction that if a friend says something good about you, like, hey man, Bob is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Even if Bob is a dick when you first meet him, you're going to give Bob more chances to prove that he is nice whether than if someone said, watch out for that dude, he's an asshole. Even if you were super nice, it's going to be seen or judged or is he trying to get something from me because of the primacy effect. Then he sort of ends this chapter with the laws of attraction. Some of the additional tools that you can add to your tool belt. I'm not going to cover all of them. Uh, there's a good amount. You should check out the book if you like the information being presented here. But here are the ones that I like or at least have experienced a lot in my life. We've already talked about the law of similarity. People have heard birds of a feather flock together. You don't have to go much deeper to it than that. The law of misattribution. If people feel good at the time, but don't link that feeling to an activity directly or someone externally directly, then they will attribute that rise in emotion to you because it's the only thing there that they could possibly attribute it to. So he uses exercise as a way of just a general level of raising endorphins. Or if you could meet someone right after them exercising, they are more likely to have good feelings about you because they feel good in general at that time. Uh, you'll get a similar thing from watching a sports outing if the team wins. However, if the team loses and you aren't able to sort of show that you guys had a good time regardless during the process of said loss that may not work out as well for you. The law of reciprocity. Social norms dictate that if someone does you a favor or gives you something, they are likely to return the favor in kind at the same level or higher. He gives a few stories from how he got upgraded to better flights just based on being nice to someone who told the person before them that they didn't have any room on the plane and he gets an upgraded seat. You can sort of tie the law of self-esteem and the law of self-disclosure together. People like to associate with others who have high levels of self-esteem. People who have a high level of self-esteem, i.e. they feel good about themselves regardless about how you feel about them, or more likely to disclose things that may be quote-unquote risky because they're not concerned about you liking them. Now, funnily enough, that makes people like them more versus people who exhibit, please like me, I am 
going to weasel and wiggle my way into something that I find utilizing. People can smell that out. It's better to just be the best version of yourself. The law of personal attractiveness, i.e. people that are deemed as attractive by their societies are treated better than people who are not deemed attractive by their societies. Didn't need a book for anybody to understand that. And the law of availability. Scarcity increases the value of an object. Uh, this is why the don't text a girl for a certain amount of days rule comes into effect. Now, ideally, this shouldn't be a move you're doing. You should just actually be busy, have things going on, friends, activities, even if you are just starting out in a new city, maybe exploring, figuring out what you want to do, where you want your third place to be, i.e. that place that you go to a lot outside of work and your house. You are building a life for yourself and it will not revolve around someone else. That type of person isn't as available. Thusly, your value goes up. It's the same reason why if you only have a, it's a supply and demand, but it applies to people as well, even though you don't want to hear it. If the supply of a person is very high, unless you're in a long-term relationship, the demand on that person tends to be a little bit lower. People do not want things that other people do not want. All right, and we're going to end part two there. Should be able to wrap this book up with one more episode, and then we'll move on to another book, another topic that is dear to my heart. And with that, I love you guys. Be good to each other, and I'll see you. Thank you for hanging out with me on the True Masculine Project. Please like, rate, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. Uh, if you want to interact with the show, you can catch us on Instagram at true, T-R-U-E-M-P underscore podcast. See you next time.